Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we are still talking about transition during this Lenten season. Um, Specifically, we've been talking about congregational transition and pastoral transition because we are three pastors sitting around the microphone. So that Mm -hmm. is our life experience, but we have managed to tie it in a couple of times with just transition in general. Uh, So last week we talked about discerning that it is time to leave, time to make that big new change of ending one call or appointment and looking for a new one or getting a new one. But today we are talking about what it looks like to end that call and that appointment and how to say goodbye and do it well. Um, there, there are definitely some things I know I have learned from mini- you know, my years of ministry, and I'm sure we all have, even just leaving being a layperson and coming into ministry, what it looks like to, to say goodbye and to say goodbye well, um, both from the pastoral perspective and from the congregation's perspective. Um, this, to me, seems like one of those places where, for all the differences in our traditions about how changes get made and how much the individual or the higher-up structure in the, in, the hi- in the hierarchy does it, the, the process of saying goodbye in some ways, there's going to be commonalities and mm-hmm. that we, we all have to live through what does that look like um, and how you can do it well or poorly, um, as well as uh, th- there's going to be times in both of our traditions, uh, as well as in other traditions as well, in, in models that are a lot more job interview-like and ones that are even more, you will do what I say because I'm the hierarchy. Um, but sometimes you have a lot of lead time and sometimes there's not as much. But talking about like the, the, some of that's a factor in how you do the goodbyes, too. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits in the Methodist system, and I, I can kind of say in your system, too, is that there's usually some lead time mm-hmm. between you know, when the appointment is made and when the pastor actually leaves. Mm-hmm. Not always. Yeah. <laughs> I've had friends who have had DSs come up to them at annual conference in June mm. and say, let's have lunch. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you're moving <laughs> in two weeks. Um, two weeks? I can't imagine packing a house in two weeks. It used to be, long before I got in the ministry, that all the moves were announced at annual conference in June and you moved in July. Oh, my goodness. Um, so at least we, we've moved away from that system. Um, but it also... I will say, as somebody who announced in November that she was moving in July, <laughs> that makes for a really long transition period, yeah. and it makes it a really difficult thing. Um, in, in, the, in our system, in the ELCA, we are recommended, unless you're retiring, you do 30 days. You, yeah. you, ana- you, you hand in your letter of resignation, and in your letter of resignation um, has your last Sunday, and that is the... Sunday that is 30 days out mm-hmm. um, and that that is like that gives you enough time to see all of your committees one more time um, but and you know it gives you time to say goodbye without being so terribly long that you mm-hmm. kind of become a lame duck pastor yeah I think that's a really important piece of this that like there's there's pastoral concern for both a certain amount of time, because you want the transition to be as smooth as possible, but that idea of not being a lame deck, because part of the hope is, as the transition happens, 
you don't want to be making plans right before you're headed out the door that other people got to do. I mean, you know, hey, let's have this really big involved event. I won't be here. Goodbye. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that there's a there's a certain graciousness in enough time that you can have closure, but also not so long that yeah, it, it, it hampers the congregation, uh, but also. Um, can end up being sort of an ego-feeding trip, too. And I, I like that you said, like, there are circumstances maybe where there's exceptions. I, I, a pastor I knew years ago um, knew in advance when his retirement was going to be, and that meant that, like, the whole year beforehand, there was a certain, like, you could you could see him tearing up as he went through the last of every mm -hmm. one of those things, and people sort of who knew him were like, oh, he's uh, he's feeling bittersweet because this is his last Christmas Eve with yeah. us. And, this is, and, and there's something appropriate about recognizing and knowing, yep, this is going to be the last one of these, paying attention to them. Um, but it can also feel belabored and sort of like be like this long, drawn-out, like the pastor becomes the center of attention mm -hmm. instead of Jesus, you know, who should be the center of attention. Yeah. I'm reminded, I don't often get pastoral uh, ministry guidance from Ben Fold's five songs, but <laughs> there's a handful of times, and this is this is one of them. Uh, so the, the, the great uh, piano rock uh, trio of the late 90s, the Ben Folds Five, which, yep, their name has five and there's three guys in the band. That's how awesome they are. Uh, there's a song uh, of theirs called uh, Stephen's Last Night in Town, um, and it's about this, it's about friends, it's not about a, a church, but it's about uh, a friend who had clearly among all of his social circle told everybody he was leaving town and moving, but he keeps backing up when he's going to leave, and so like every, so the recurring line is, every night now is Stephen's Last Night in Town, so like there's all this, you know, it was funny at first when he said he was leaving and it didn't go, and now it's kind of wearing thin, um, that you can have some of that Stephen's Last Night in Town kind of a silliness at some point that not only becomes the lame duck hampering future stuff but also becomes like almost where you become a self a self parody a joke of like mm -hmm. if you're gonna go go and you know closure means at some point things are closed <laughs> it, to me this feels like this is a place to talk about how those saying goodbyes in in ministry life um parallel maybe what happens in the experience of grief to to actually losing somebody to death in life um, and that much like it's sort of become pop wisdom to talk about stages of grief, uh, that again, it moves in a process toward closure. And there's a certain time you spend it, you let it take the time it takes, but at some point you feel like I'm through this and it, I've moved on into a new chapter, um, that this kind of parting is, is like that. And acknowledging, just like sometimes you go through anger and denial and bargaining and acceptance, that something like that may happen in when we say goodbye to pastoral leadership as well. I did that uh, when my first pastor that I remember growing up, like, and really knowing well when he left, I was mm. really close with his daughters and still am, you know, I've known the family for 20 some odd years. And like, I was so angry when he left, mm -hmm. you know, um, but, you know, I realized that when the new pastor came in, like, you know, Matt had gifts and graces that Dennis did and like, we built a relationship and I'm mm -hmm. now in college with both of them, obviously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's. I think we need to go through that process, mm -hmm. and I don't know that the church does that well. Yeah. Well, and I, this is maybe a place to say, as much as I would say, and I resonate with that, like I've gone through uh, pastors who were part of my life when I was the person sitting in the pew, and sometimes those losses feel as real as grief, mm -hmm. and you go through anger to, okay, I get it. Um, but one of the things that's difficult about uh, pastoral transition as opposed to death is, nobody's dead at the end of it. Like, like yeah. when somebody dies, there's this sort of, well, they didn't mean to die. They, they loved you very much, and they, they, we just say things like it was their time. And 
well-meaning people say, say things that are incorrect, like God needed another angel. But like those are all like what they didn't choose to leave you. But pastoral transition can't help but deal with a certain amount of owning. Yes, I have chosen this. And there are other reasons that factor. It's not nothing personal. They were, uh, you know, there were factors in my own life, or being able to feed my kids, or whatever. But like there is, there's a point at which everybody has to deal with this was a choice and isn't quite as passive as death is. And owning that, being able to say, yes, I chose this, or yes, this is a part of where I felt I needed to go, but not that's not an attack or something. That's, that's difficult. Um, and, it, and I think that the waters get muddied even more because the person's not actually dead. Right. That, like, when the next big event comes up in your life of, like, somebody's died, there's a new baby that needs to be baptized, so-and-so needs to get married, and you want your pastor, your old pastor... To be your yeah. pastor yeah. and to be there for those big moments, and then that puts your the pastor in a very awkward position to say, "No, I'm not your pastor anymore. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to come and do this funeral." You have a pastor, mm -hmm. Pastor So and So, is sitting in the yeah. church yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. Go talk to him or her. Yeah. Um, that I think also muddies the yeah. waters a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe even further complicating this is in that time of closure when a pastor is trying to tie up loose ends as well as possible or get things ready for whomever comes after to pick things up, and the congregation is grieving, they're grieving the pastor who is both leaving and is still there, who would be your go... Like, mm -hmm. if, if someone is grieving and they've lost their spouse or, or a sibling or something, they go to their pastor, help me deal with this grief, and the, the pastor is, is a presence of stability for somebody else who's been lost. In a time when the pastor is the one who's changing, it's, that's difficult in that, like, there's going to be a certain amount directed, like, you're the reason I'm upset because you're the one who's leaving. Yeah. It's, hard, it's hard to be giver or receiver of comfort in that moment. And that doesn't mean you can't do it, but it means you got to sort of name elephants in the room. But also, it would seem to me this is a place where it would be helpful for congregations going through that transition period to identify who are folks in our congregation who aren't the pastor but are decent at caring for one another, who can be those kind of you know, wise voices of stability that we, you know, we may need to uh, surround one another with care. Or if it's a staff ministry and there's multiple pastors on staff, for the others who are not in transition be like, we're going to be called upon because... It, it may be it may be weird uh, for the the person who's leaving or for the the people dealing with that grief. And I think that's part of the reason why, in my denomination, they encourage us to have two weeks. You know, so we move July first. Mm -hmm. So the two Sundays before that, we are not in the pulpit. Yeah. Just to kind of give the church that little bit of a, a break. Yeah. So that, you know, you don't go from old pastor to new pastor. Mm-hmm. Back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in my first transition, I did, but that's, and the only reason I did break that rule, and it's not a rule, it's a suggestion, was because I had just been ordained. Yeah. And so I wanted my churches to have me preach there as an ordained minister because yeah. they had walked me through that process. Yeah. Um, and this church, when the day comes for me to leave, the second Sunday in June will be my last Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, so then they have two weeks of whoever, yeah. you know, a, a retired pastor or a lay speaker from the church, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to kind of help make that transition. Yeah. This, this reminds me in a weird way of um, a, a bit of musical advice I've, I've seen shared that, like, and maybe you've heard this before, that, that genius in music is not just about the notes, but about the rest mm -hmm. and about the use of science. And that, like, sometimes, like, the space in between things is as important as when there's music, when there's notes. And the pastoral transition has a similar, like, 
it, it's, it's important sometimes to let there be a pause in between, a, a chance to catch breath, both for the congregation's sake and for so that nobody's immediately walking in and everybody's like, well, this person isn't like who was here last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need that moment, that, that chance to breathe a little bit. And, and in other traditions, this is why things like interim ministry are a yeah. thing, where people who, and to be crude about it, sometimes get treated like they're the rebound boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> um, but like whose job is, I'm not here forever. I'm here intentionally to help. We're closing off this uh, previous thing. We're getting you ready mm-hmm. for what comes next. And who knows their job is not to develop lifelong attachments, but to be a decent person for the time they're there, but basically like a palate cleanser, you know? Yeah. And I, I know that that's weird. Like when, when you think about going to a fancy restaurant and people talk about, you know, like the, the thing in between courses that cleanse, that, that feels like weird that, that somebody senses their calling, but that's an important thing um, to know. I'm not, the, it, it almost like that John the Baptist line, I, I must decrease mm-hmm. the, the, like that awareness of things have an end and then you, you prepare the way for the next person who comes after you. Well, especially when you have a really long pastoral, you mm-hmm. know, a pastorate. You know, I, the Methodists don't tend to have mm-hmm. very long-term pastorates, but I know some folks who have mm-hmm. been in the same church for 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine being there, you know, following them right. after they've been there that long. Like, I would want somebody mm-hmm. to be that palate cleanser, to yeah. be in that interim, yeah. to kind of say, okay, you, you had a really long time with, Pastor so and so. Yeah. Let's figure out who you are without yeah. this person as your pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you get a new pastor, you know who you are. Yeah. So that your new pastor can come in and minister to you as a congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder whether um, it would be helpful for us to talk a little bit about um, whether this is from lived experience or just like hunches that we have um, about what would be helpful both. From the pastoral side to make a transit to do those goodbyes as well as possible but also what are things that ideally make uh from the congregation standpoint that make a, uh, the goodbyes as healthy as possible i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say easier because i'm not sure that easy is the goal but because running away and you know, pretending it's not happening is easy but not yeah. healthy so what what things from the congregational side as well as from the pastoral side would be healthy for those goodbyes Well, right now, it's weird being a pastor in transition because COVID puts a weird complication in all all of the goodbyes. Um, But uh, I didn't clear this with Russ, but so if you're listening, Russ, sorry. Um, (laughs) But his last month was in in December. Mm -hmm. And midway through December, um, our family was exposed to COVID. And we had to do a two-week quarantine where none of us could leave our house. And so that obviously made, like, already the COVID complications even more complicated. And he didn't really ever get to have a goodbye event, Mm -hmm. like a place for people to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, so when it was my turn to, like, start saying goodbye to my congregations, which is what I'm doing, Right now, while we're recording this, um, this is my last, we're in my last month um, while we're recording this. And I've been very intentional about trying to set up several different times and places where I've said I will be um, each for each of my congregations. So I've already had one. Um, it was in person with masks and as physically distanced as we possibly could. And then I'm going to have two online events, which is basically, here's a link to a Google Meet 
uh, I will be on from this time to this time. Join in anytime during those two hours that you would, if you would like to like say hi, goodbye, etc. Um, and then one more in person that is again masks and physically distanced in like this really really big room. And then hopefully we won't have 50 people all at once. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea because it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but having those times where people could come and say goodbye, mm-hmm. especially since we're not having in-person worship at that church, mm-hmm. that congregation at the moment. So, like, it's not even, like, after church they can, like, say, thank you for being our pastor, we'll miss you. Mm-hmm. Or whatever they want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming it will be good things. But, like, <laughs> for all I know, somebody will come up and say, don't let the door hit you on your way out, you know. So I'm just assuming. But having those times and spaces where you can be intentional to let people say goodbye, and you can say goodbye. Yeah. It feels to me like the same way folks who are in our line of work uh, come to appreciate the importance of times to say goodbye at death. And like often if pastors and funeral directors are the ones telling families, you need something. Um, you know, what, what it looks like, uh, you know, there, there's, there's lots of variation, but that it's helpful. People need that ability to physically say um, goodbye. And COVID has made it really tough to have funerals, uh, you know, in this, in this era and time. Sometimes it's just, we have it, but there's only eight people there, or it's all at the graveside. Sometimes people are dealing with the watching by Zoom or something like that, or, or Google Meets or whatever. But something is that ritual known of, this was my chance to say the things I needed to say, or to watch it happen. And in a similar way, if, if pastoral transition feels in good ways and bad ways, like grief, then the, the, the making time to, to make it happen, to say things that need to be said, and just to be there for, for, to listen to what things need to be listened to. Yeah. Something I've also found very helpful as a pastor leaving um, and this wasn't with the congregation, but actually with my bishop, is I had um, an individual confession and forgiveness over the phone hmm. because we were, um, you know, it's COVID times and he lives hours away from me. But um, it was a time for me to lay out all of my regrets about this call, about the things that I felt like I didn't do good enough or I wasn't able to give enough time to, you know, laying out all of what I feel are my shortcomings in this particular call. And to have him as my bishop be able to say, you have been forgiven. You know, you can use this, these, these things as a learning opportunity to be, to, to learn and grow from in your next call, but you are forgiven and you can lay down this burden and walk away lighter. Hmm. Hmm. That 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 seems really helpful in dealing with the the regret and guilt that any of us faces. We you see closure in one chap in in one moment of life, and maybe one of the difficulties with most of our regular life when we're not in a, in official transition is that we're all carrying around a certain amount of regrets of what I didn't get done yesterday, the things I should have said differently, or whatever, and we don't have good moments to name. Again, we talked before in an earlier episode in our series on spiritual practices that individual confession and forgiveness is one it can be very valuable but a lot of folks are really squeamish about and there's church history reasons why because it can get abused too and turn into if you didn't say it out loud it's still on your permanent record whatever but like that there's really value a lot of value in ordinary life and transition moments are especially helpful as moments to say a chapter is ending this is a place to say there's forgiveness and i need to be able to let go of stuff 
both those things I've done and things I've left undone, the way Lutherans <laughs> like to say it, um, and then to start over. And, and not to say, and if I mess up in the next place, oh, now that's like, no, it, every day is this sort of, I mess up and we're starting over again, but we need in those new chapter headings or those, those chances to, for refreshment, I guess. Maybe in a similar way, but a slightly different itch that I, I would suggest seems important, but I'll bounce off of either of you because this is in that half-form thought. I think it's less likely to head into heresy because it's more church life stuff instead of theology. But um, it would seem to me it could be a valuable practice if all the stakeholders are mature enough to do this and, this and the situation is not dysfunctional, it prevents it, but to do something that feels like an exit interview. Um, mm -hmm. And like, you know, in, in other kind of jobs, when you leave, there's a, whether it's with a supervisor or coworkers, that some of like, as I'm leaving, here are things I need you to know about. Here's what it's like to have this job. You might not have realized this and this and this and this, but I need to say it for whoever comes in next. Some of that's, um, this will hopefully make it easier for whoever comes after. And also, if there's stuff that needs to be aired, n not just with, uh, like, liturgical and, and sacramental kind of confession and forgiveness is no matter what you say, at the end, you're forgiven because that's how Jesus works. So that's how, yep, you are forgiven. It's reckless, it's audacious, that's grace, baby. But functionally and organically, sometimes we've got to say, this is the thing we try to work on and it never got right. So it's not we're going to say forgiven and sweep under the rug, but here's a thing that still t needs to be dealt with it couldn't get resolved in my time here, but whoever's going to take over needs to address X or Y or Z. That's a thing that, that again, we don't have good resources often to, to deal with. And probably because you know that kind of conversation requires the um, uh, self-groundedness not to hear things as personal attacks, but also to say, yeah, this was a place where there was a shortcoming or this didn't work the way we wanted it to. And for whatever reasons, this is something that needs to be addressed. There are other things that you can think of that would or wouldn't be helpful in the goodbye process. What are things that would feed each of your souls like as, as you uh, think about transition, like as, and as you're living through it right now as we record, Sarah, beyond the, you making time to, to have time for people to come to you, and that, that thing from the bishop to be able to offer individual confession and forgiveness, what are things that would, would feed your soul or help you to feel like it was a, it was a healthy transition from the congregation standpoint? Uh, so those are those are the big ones, but mm -hmm. um, I I think especially right now in times of COVID, to to show up mm. for the for for those events, like mm -hmm. to you know realize that this is the only opportunity for actual goodbyes, and so it's. You know, for me, it's being available as much as possible for these events to make sure I go to all those committees to, like, the last, every committee meeting to say, hey, these have been my responsibilities. I'm handing it back to you. You know, it's going to take some lay leaders to step up and to take those things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not my job to find those lay <laughs> leaders anymore. But, like, they have to, you have to kind of, say, okay, like, we have to step up now and take on some of these things so that it still happens. Because it's no longer on me whether or not your church still functions. Um, you know, that's no longer my responsibility after, uh, you know, a certain date. Um, so, yeah, to just keep keep showing up and keep participating and, you know... <laughs> Come and say goodbye. Um, 
And when you come and say goodbye, if you have a really awesome packing box, please bring it. <laughs> I will gladly take it off of your hands. I, I think you, you've, you've hit on something as well that I had not thought of until you said it. Like, that, like the, in the letting go of, you know, this used to be my job, and now you all and the rest of the congregation need to, to take this on. Um, that probably means on the pastoral side, in the space of however long the transition is, whether it's a month or those times where somebody sees a lot further coming down the road, but um, when, it's, when it's in that window of we can talk about this, it's public knowledge, um, that pastors be judicious about like how and when and where they, uh, they, they make decisions that will affect what comes after them. You know? So like, it'd be probably wise, as, there are going to be some decisions where pastors are like, you know what, as you're deciding what curriculum or theme to go with for vacation Bible school months from now that I won't be a part of, I'm, I, 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 I can offer this input, but I don't get the deciding, like that, that kind of like intentional limiting of, I don't get these votes right now, or I, don't, I, I won't uh, lay a heavy hand. I might have if, if things were different. I have real strong, but I need to let go. And there's going to be other decisions too, um, or places where input becomes, it, it's more and more I need to decrease in the, the person or the people who come after me. And sometimes it's even like, like you're suggesting with uh, have, having people see in advance the responsibilities they're going to need to pick up for a while. Because even if you're in a polity where the new pastor comes in you know, three weeks from now, in the meantime, while they're still getting up to speed, other people are going to be carrying out a lot of stuff that, that will maybe become part of the pastor's you know, regular routine. And helping people to see that in advance of, here's what's going to need to happen, who needs to pick this up now, and that the pastor who's deporting doesn't get to decree, you will do this, you will do that. These are things that need to be done by somebody, or you need to decide they're not going to get done. But the, helping people to see that in advance so it's not like a slap in the, like, oh my goodness, not only am I saying goodbye, but I didn't realize there's all this other stuff to do. Mm. When I think about um, the, the experience of when I've been working with families after a loved one has died, I often find that like there's this double whammy if you are left as, say, like the executor or executrix of the estate, or you're the grown siblings of a parent who's died and you have to figure out what to do with the house or things like that. Like there's not only the initial like, oh, I lost my you know, spouse, parent, whatever, there's an emotional loss, but then there's just the sheer amount of additional paperwork stuff mm -hmm. that like rips the scab off of the, the emotional stuff because it sort of like continue like salt in the wound reminds you this person is not here but also all this other stuff that nobody tells you about um and that uh in in a lot of wise families they figure out ways to divide the labor so that nobody gets dumped all of it but that uh, that seems to be an important piece in pastoral ministry as well as much as as the pastor and the congregation can, can see okay this transition means some of them are going to be changing what jobs they do around here. How do we see that coming? And know even cl clear, like, what are end dates for? This is going to be the last time I'm the one to turn off the lights. At the, like, whatever those little other jobs that don't get in the job description, but, like, mm -hmm. somebody does, uh, those are important things to name and to say. Anything else that you think would be helpful for either pastors or congregations as they say those goodbyes? For me, just because I, I've seen this... I've heard stories of this not done well. I'm not actually seeing it personally. My first stories is it's not done well. Um, being completely honest as to why there is a transition. Because mm. um, I have heard stories of pastors, and I, I think I've mentioned this as we were talking about welcoming a new pastor. Mm, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the pastor said, well, the conference moved me, when actually the pastor had asked for a move. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Like, just... Just being honest yeah. um, as you're heading out the door, like, you know, why, if you had a choice in the matter, yeah. why? Yeah. 
you know, what was your thinking behind it? So then, you know, stories and things don't, you know, she was whisked away by the bishop. And the right, 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 you know, yeah. Those kind of things don't become the history and the fairy yeah. tale of, of the congregation and their history, but like... Yeah. As well you know, as you don't want the conference to be the scapegoat all the time. Right. Because yeah. that's a good way to have to build mistrust between a congregation mm -hmm. and the larger body, exactly. whether it's the district oh gosh, yes. or the synod. Yeah. Um, that, you know, because you, you... Congregations need to have good relationships mm -hmm. with their district, with their synod, with mm -hmm. their DSs, with their bishops. Like... Those relationships need to be good, otherwise congregations will not understand why do we need to be part of the larger mm -hmm. church. Yeah. And I think that's, I so appreciate both of what you're saying, that idea of not, it is, it is again, easy but not healthy to shift blame onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's important, especially seven pastoral ministry, but just as a human, to be mature and own your decision. So, like, yeah, if, yeah, if, if you've had a, a role in the decision, to own it when you're, and tactfully, to be sure, but, like, in ways that, yeah, this is part of my decision, not somebody made me do this or I got thrown mm -hmm. under the bus. Um, and that not only helps prevent making other structures into villains, oh, it was that terrible synod or that terrible district or whatever, but also um, it, it, it's a way of honoring people if you can be honest with them. So there, there are churches in my district that when my DS walks in the door, their guard just goes up, mm -hmm, like, you mm -hmm, know, they, mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily saying the pastors that have left in the past have done it poorly. Yeah. There's just been a lot of transitions in those churches yeah. for a bunch of different reasons, most of which I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that has just made it a really tense relationship between that church and my district superintendent. Yeah. Um, and again, maybe it's nobody's fault, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know the stories, but yeah. when you aren't completely honest. Yeah in a tactful way, yeah. you know, then you're just causing undue stress and anxiety and, and breaking of that relationship yeah. that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, I can't help but think of uh, Paul Simon's, no, Neil Simon's uh, The Goodbye Girl. Uh, forgive me, I'm not thinking of the music musician Paul Simon, but that's so in The Goodbye Girl, like the, the, you know, the main character who's lived through so many bad relationships that her guard is up and... Like, there's this predisposition of, I'm going to put my defenses up because I've been hurt so many times. And while you hope that doesn't happen in ministry, like, yeah, that happens. And sometimes that it's the, the wider structure. If they get characterized as they're the villain anytime they mm -hmm. show up, um, it makes it hard to find people who are willing in good faith to try and partner with them. Um, I, I would guess, too, as you're dealing with transition, for the pastor who's leaving to other places and for the congregation that's trying to deal with how we're going to move on, being smart and healthy and wise about transition is one of those things that is important but easy to skip because we feel like, eh, it's just goodbye stuff. But it's important to take mm -hmm. that time and not to treat it like it's just extra, you know, if we get around. But it's important to do that well for the new chapters that are starting in both, in both directions. Um, even though it can feel like, I don't have the time for that. I've got too many other things to do. It's important to do well, probably in ways that nobody can see at the moment that it's happening, but like rippling down the road, sometimes months, sometimes years, sometimes mm -hmm. decades in church storytelling about who we are, um, uh, that to do those transitions well. I will say another thing from the pastoral side is talk up the person that's going to follow you, hmm. mm -hmm. uh, especially as somebody who's a woman going into ministry. You know, in ministry, when I came here, I'm the first female pastor to ever lead this mm -hmm. church, mm -hmm. and 
not that I got a whole ton of pushback from folks, mm -hmm. um, but when I talked to my predecessor, you know, have you talked to him about a, a woman minister? Mm -hmm. He hadn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, in some cases, you can get away with that, but like, you know, especially if you're a male pastor and you know that the person following you, at least in, in my denomination, you can do that. Yeah. yeah um, you know, you're going to know who's following you. You know it's a female. You know that the church has never had a female minister. Yeah. You know, preaching about women in ministry, preaching about women in scripture and, sure. you know, that role. Because there's still a lot of people out there that don't think that Sarah and I should be in the roles that right, we're in. Right, right, And so, like, that suggests to me then even... Even when there's not a transition immediately on the horizon per se, like helping make sure, because when for for the people in the congregations where I serve, now for the last 14 and a half years, when they picture pastor, to some degree, like it or not, I'm a part of what that picture mm -hmm. is. Even though there have been female pastors in in the history of these congregations before that are a reminder to them. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but like it can be helpful in my language when I catch you know if somebody shares something online, they'll say something about your pastor. He or you know like yeah. yeah in this case, it could be, but it, even there, it's, it's helpful to say women are doing pastoral work mm -hmm. as well. Um, and to highlight, not just say it's theoretically possible, but to call attention and highlight to to use one's platform to give to help call attention to other people who do what they do well and to help other people to see it, that's that's a, a call then all the time. And it serves, especially at transition mm -hmm. time, but to be doing it all the time then makes it feel like there's no agenda. It's just, this is what we do. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would say with that okay. uh, is to make sure that when you are a pastor and you're going on vacation and you have a supply preacher, try to have a wide variety of voices in your pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, because I grew up with a pastor who was a middle-aged man and he was my pastor from the time I was baptized at the age of 11 to when I graduated college and was going off to seminary but like I when he was away on vacation it seemed like there was always guys in the pulpit and because I had Southern Baptist grandparents telling me women couldn't be pastors and then I just saw men pastors mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize that I could be a pastor even when my pastor was saying, hey, have you ever thought about seminary? And I'm like, yeah. no, I haven't thought about seminary. I'm a woman. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until after we had that conversation that he started intentionally bringing in women supply preachers. Yeah. And um, I could actually see, oh, look, a woman preaching. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that's just have a wide variety of voices as much as you can. Like, some of us live in places where all of the supply preachers are white. Mm -hmm. And that's just a result of the fact that we are living in a very white part of the country. Or at least our leadership is white. And, like, mm -hmm. I, we could have a whole other set of conversations as to why that's problematic. Mm -hmm. But if you have a wide variety of voices use them yeah th that's really helpful yeah and that's a good point sir you know not just if you have if you're a male pastor bringing you know a woman's following you if you're a white pastor and you have a pastor of color following you you know yeah. to, to try to smooth out that transition especially in an area like ours because we're so used to yeah, yeah. white pastors yeah. leading white congregations and not having cross-cultural yeah uh, leadership when um, when the actor who played Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, died, it was really hard on my kids who were both African American. Um, they saw this, and like I can remember my son saying, like he was the first 
superhero who looked like me that he yeah. was exposed to. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. again, the history of comics, yes, there's others. But, like, for him, and again, it's not like he's planning to be a vigilante when he grows up because he saw it. In the, but, like, there's that sense of when you see something reality in, 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 around you, oh, you're able to think about it in a way that, you know, implicitly the message otherwise is this isn't for you, you can't be this. There's a, a boy who is now a man uh, in the congregations where I serve now, who when he was a kid, my predecessor um, uh, was a, a woman. and The one um, that was whisked away by the bishop? The one who was whisked <laughs> away by the bishop, yeah. Uh, like like a goblin into the woods or into the witch's castle or something. Um, uh, this, 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 he was a little boy, then he says to his mom one Sunday, um, I wish I could be a pastor when I grow up, but it looks like only girls can be pastors. Because, like, as in his formative years, the only person... And it was cool because it was this delightful reversal, but, like, man, if that's not a reminder of, like, how most of the time the opposite has been the case. Yeah. And even if the official policy rules have been women are technically allowed or, or someone from a uh, different um, in that ethnicity other than Scandinavian or German, you know, white European can be, you know, like... That it's helpful for folks is oh not only can it be but it is that that's helpful because it, it removes those unspoken barriers. So we we we've dabbled in all sorts of directions as we're talking about goodbyes, but that that's helpful. We're gonna have one more episode in this series uh, because next week as we get into Holy Week we're talking about sort of the grand transition that's at the heart of the Christian faith, the motion from death to resurrection. So join us for how our transitions fit within that big one next time on Crazy Faith Talk. See you. Bye.